Jews, Muslims, and Christians all worship the same God, right? After all, they each trace their roots back to Abraham and his journey of faith that began with God's call, so they might disagree on some details, but they're all under the same God, right? Or are they? It only takes about 10 seconds to test this hypothesis. Just ask a Jew or a Muslim if their God includes Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Ask if Jesus is a fraud, a good prophet, or God incarnate. Is the Holy Spirit just a manifestation of God the Father's influence? or a full-fledged member of a trinity. If one does not accept the three in one and one in three, they're not worshiping the same God that Christians worship. But the idea of the trinity is a heavy, unfamiliar concept. Many Christians struggle to understand it, and well-meaning teachers often offer explanations and analogies that only add to the confusion. So what is the trinity? Why does it matter that we understand it correctly? What popular ideas get God wrong and, and set us on the wrong foot for misunderstanding the Trinity? And how does this doctrine affect us on a practical level? Does it really make a difference to your life, believing in the Trinity or not? We explore those questions and more to this vital, essential Christian doctrine on this week's show. Welcome to Who Let the Dogma Out, where doctrine has dominion over all of life, I'm one of your hosts, Jack Wilkie, joined once again by Titus and Daniel. Fellas, we're uh, a little bit off schedule, thanks to me, my travels, my uh, moving, all kinds of things going on, but uh, we're, we're back in time to get another episode out. How are we doing? Doing great. Yeah, loving, loving life. Had a good <clears throat> 4th of July, uh, celebrating that with church, family, and friends, and uh, yeah. just just had a great couple of weeks. It's kind of unseasonably cool today here uh, for for a nice change. So I'm doing well. Yeah. yeah, I yeah, great. Do you guys find that Fourth of July, the older you get, becomes more and more a favorite? Yeah. Okay, yeah. It used to be Christmas was the absolute, and it's still probably right there. But July Fourth is is like right with it. It's it's the best. It Blowing is very stuff enjoyable. up, grilling food. Well, and I just I don't know. It, it feels like culturally the climate of everything putting out the flag and all that has a different feel than it used to uh, it feels kind of you know rival nations a red yeah. white and blue flag versus a rainbow colored flag you know that kind of thing so <laughs> right. I'm, I'm all in on it more in the last few years um having said all that we uh we've we've had some episodes in the hopper we were talking about some ideas but then a few things came up in life pointing toward the idea of the trinity and questions about the trinity and people saying hey i heard this about the Trinity and we even got a, a listener request. Uh, I want to shout out to one of our listeners who is a Focus Plus subscriber uh, over at Focus Press. He said, hey, can you guys talk about the Trinity in an episode? I said, yeah, well, we'll get to it eventually. But there were just so many things that piled up where it's like, all right, let's let's do it. It's time to talk about the Trinity because who let the dogma out? This is one of this might be the central early church dogma that they fought over, stuck to, made essential, right? I mean, so many of the, the heretics, so many of the, the councils and just stuff that they were getting together to settle in the early church was, what do we believe about the Trinity and, and the analogies that are out there and, and bad ideas that are out there and, and setting up Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as I said in the intro, a lot of people just don't think it matters, but man, don't tell the early church that that was at, at the center of everything they were trying to uh, figure out for themselves. Yeah, yeah, you're you're exactly right. And, you know, one thing that comes to mind uh, immediately 
is I think some people hear the word Trinity and they immediately cringe like, oh, that's that's a denominational thing. Uh, it's the Godhead. The Godhead is the biblical word. And so through this podcast, we're going to be using probably Trinity and Godhead interchangeably. Uh, Trinity, I, I'm forgetting at this moment the exact Latin root, but the, the root word just means threeness, just the threeness of God. Um, and, and the reason that, again, as people kind of get into this topic, they go, well, the Trinity, why does it matter? Um, it's not super explicitly laid out, um, which is interesting because I was listening to something on on the Trinity in the lead up to this. And, and the speaker there was noting how the Trinity is never in the New Testament. Paul never sits down and goes, brethren, I don't want you to be confused concerning the doctrine of the threeness of God. It's just put out there as an understood thing. Paul talks about the Trinity, uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as if the people he was speaking to, if they've heard the gospel, even in the most simple form, they have heard the message of the God who is Father, Son, and Spirit. And so for those that would argue and say, well, the Trinity, uh, I don't know about that. I mean, it's something that the Bible forces us to reckon with. And so while, while Trinity isn't a biblical word, you won't find that word in the Bible, the threeness of God is so baked into the New Testament that we have to deal with it. We have to try to understand it to whatever extent that we can. Uh, and I think that's why it's so important. Yeah. And as there's as there's deeper and deeper revelation given to us, then that's the information we're to be standing on. So Jack brought out in, in the introduction, you know, do Jews and Christians worship the same God? Well, the Jews in the Old Testament worshipped the same God, and they they didn't have the full picture that we have in the New Testament, right? The 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 picture becomes in full view when when Jesus the Christ comes and He's God and He's being worshipped, and yet God the Father is still in heaven and the Spirit is descending on Him, and you see these three parts. This information God is unfolding it. This is this great mystery from old, but as more information is unfolded if we deny it and if we reject it then effectively we are worshiping the wrong god or we're de we're denying the truth about god that has been there so th this is extremely important and and it works itself out a lot of ways <clears throat> you know i again the where's our where's our ding theological minimalism is much to blame because this hasn't amazingly, this hasn't been one of the things that has been central to our theology. And that's why people are like, what are you, what are you talking about? And we don't really have a firm grasp on it. But if it's not essential, then it works itself out in all kinds of weird ways where people are questioning things about, you know, is Jesus as much of God as God is? Is, is the spirit? I've even heard Christians say that, you know, the spirit and just in like they have their own Holy Spirit. Each person has their Holy Spirit that was given to them by God. This is one of these teachings that goes around. And it's like, no, we're talking about the Spirit of God, which is God coming into a person. And uh, there's a lot of confusion and uh, a lot that needs to be said there. And I, the, the cool thing for me is that our previous episode on the dual nature of Jesus was one of the most uh, listened to episodes so far. Which what's that tell us? Uh, I, I think people are hungry for this, right? This is this is the kind of stuff is <clears throat> people are are longing for it. They and, and we need to speak to it for sure. And you look at okay, we're gonna get into bad analogies in a minute, so I'm gonna make a bad analogy to make a different point. But 
with, why does it matter? You know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Well, if I don't think the Holy Spirit is a person of his own or I don't think it's God, I think it emanates from God or whatever. You've got in America, you know, Schoolhouse Rock, they teach us you've got the executive, the legislative, the judicial, the, the three separations of power and all that. Imagine if you just looked and you're like, you know what? I don't recognize the Supreme Court. I I just don't think that's actually government, you know, because it's it, they're judges. They're not making laws. So, no, that's not actually it doesn't work that way. And, and so imagine looking at God and, you know, three and one and one and three and saying, all right, I'll take two out of three of you, but not. Uh, you can't do that. It, it's it's God or, you know, all, the three are God or they're not. And so you can't pick and choose. You can't get this wrong. And I, I think you're exactly right, Daniel, in that it is amazing the things that we call heresies. And, and Titus made this point a couple episodes ago when we talked about unity and matters of opinion. that We throw out false teacher. We throw out heretic. We throw out false doctrine, that, that term for, I mean, minor disagreements. And yet we've got gigantic disagreements about the nature of God and how he works in the world. And we go, eh, that's okay. Uh, yeah. And so yeah. it's, it does matter. And we're going to get to that more on the back end of, of some of the practical ways in your daily walk, why this does matter. But Titus brought up that it, the word Trinity is not in the Bible, but you do have all three regularly. And the first thing people always point to is Jesus's baptism, right? The father's voice, spirit as a dove, Jesus in the water, but there are other ways that it comes out as well. I mean, we're told uh, in prayer, we're praying to the Father, our Father who art in heaven. Uh, mm -hmm. We're told that the, the Spirit, you know, it, in Romans 8, helps us with, with groanings beyond words, right? Is is wow. almost translating our, our concerns for us. And then, of mm -hmm. course, Jesus is the mediator between the man and God. And so even every time you bow your head to pray, all three are at work. And again, you can't look at one of them and go, you know what? I'm, I'm good. I don't really need the spirit's help in prayer or Jesus. I got this. I'm just going to walk up to God's throne. And Hebrew says, no, you're not. You need that intermediate. You need that high priest. And so all three have to be part of that. And so uh, there are a few others, but any any other biblical demonstrations of the three you guys want to bring up before we move on? I think that Paul, you know, when he when he's writing his letters to the churches, um, and, and that's one thing I was going to bring up as well, is that when you read the epistles, they are just soaked in Trinitarian theology. Um, but he attributes, again, the the growth of the church, um, the maturation of faith. He, he attributes all of that to the work of all three members of the Trinity. You know, mm -hmm. obviously we're in Christ, but it, he's the son of the father who sent him. And it's the spirit that, you know, is binding us together and, and giving us that growth. And so, um, you know, if, if we take the Bible at its word, the inner workings of the Trinity are continually working in our benefit, not just in some abstract theological sense, but it's, you know, the glue that holds the church together, that yeah. this is the God who we serve. And, and just another thought as we think about this is, you know, it, what a weird thing to contrive and make up if we were just going to make this up. You know, it, I think one of the reasons that that people have such a hard time with it is, you know, a it's so difficult. B it bucks every kind of understanding of logic and being and personhood that we really have otherwise. But why would the church, the early church, make such a big deal about this and, and essentially make this up? It goes against every inclination of the human mind to do so. It's almost one of those things that the absurdity of it. Uh, lends it legitimacy. Because yeah. again, to see it worked out in the scripture as it is, you go, no one could would make this up just because, you know, right. no, no one would do this. But, but a, a difficult thing about it again, is that um, as Daniel mentioned earlier, 
this is something that God revealed. God revealed his nature through Jesus. And I want to be careful about the way that I say this. He revealed it in between the New Testament and the Old Testament. Here's what I mean by that. By the time the New Testament was written down, you know, they were actually putting words on paper inspired by the Holy Spirit. God had already revealed himself as the triune God in life. You know, Jesus had was transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration, revealing himself to be God. You know, the, the acts of God, the baptism of Jesus, people saw this and it was revealed to them in real time to the point that when the Bible is being written again, this is the only foundational understanding of God that's available to them. And yeah. so again, they wouldn't read the gospel accounts and read the baptism of Jesus in Corinth or in Thessalonica and go, what, what is this strange theology of the father? No, this was bedrock. This, as you come in the door, this is the God you serve. And it's what makes him different than every other God that's out there because you don't have another God that's three in one in this way. Right. There was a willingness to adapt and to say, oh, I guess we didn't have the full picture. Right. I mean, that's that's the whole the whole New Testament, the whole gospel, the mystery of salvation, Jews included and Gentiles. The 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 heretics were the ones that 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 maintained whatever that old false idea was that now was inexcusable because of the the new information that was brought. Another scripture that to me and, and it's more than one, but uh, Matthew 28 um, in eight, 18 through 20, like you, we talk about where do we get this idea of the threeness of God, the Trinity of God, the Godhead. Okay, here's straight out of Koine Greek. Baptizontes of tu seis to onoma tu patros ke tu huio ke tu hagio numatos. And that is in Greek, I'm looking at this. There is a singular name. We are baptizing them unto the name, singular dative, or excuse me, singular accusative of, and then now we've got three genitives that follow, of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So one name unifies these three persons. Okay, and that is Jesus himself is saying, when you baptize someone, that it and their salvation is coming it is in the name the singular name of these these three personalities which is incontestable that's a great point uh good good use of the greek there that's cool uh so i mentioned before bad analogies and i know my supreme court one was a bad analogy too but there's so many ways that people try to explain this because as we've gotten at it's really hard to get our heads around it. Three and one, one and three, that all three of them are God, but they're not gods. Uh, what Daniel just said, name, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Well, that sounds like three different names, but it's one name. And so um, these analogies we come up with, people say it's like an egg where you have the shell and the yolk and the white, or it's like the sun where you have the sun and the light that comes from the sun and the heat that comes from the sun or you know, a, a man can be a father and a husband, an employee, uh, ice, water and vapor that it can take different forms. But there's problems with all of those. All of those essentially confess. That's modalism, that's modalism Patrick. <laughs> hey, OK, <laughs> I hope you've seen that. If you haven't, you, you got to look it up after this episode. Uh, it's by Lutheran Satire, a great uh, YouTube video. Uh, it's called just St. Patrick's Bad Analogies. And St. Patrick was one. Use the, the three leaf clover to explain the 
Father, Son, Holy Spirit, supposedly, legendarily. And uh, this guy did a little cartoon of, of Irishmen kind of quizzing him on his theological heresies. Um, but with all of those, they don't work. And so let's uh, we got three of them here on the outline. Just as an example, I'll, I'll take one. You guys can jump into the others. The first is tritheism, that it is three gods. Uh, it's not three gods. It's It's not three separate beings because they are all God. I mean, there's no point in the Bible that it says we worship gods. It's as Daniel just said, the name singular, uh, that they are all God and they all manifest at different times, different ways, but they're also all independent. As you see at the baptism of Jesus, there's three different beings there, but it's all God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And, and again, this is hard to get our heads around and there is a degree of it that we have to take on faith, but that doesn't mean it's wrong. And it's not three different gods because you'll also see Jesus and John, when being challenged by the Pharisees, said, before Abraham was, I am. Yeah. Well, who's they were thinking the father in the Old Testament, the, the singular God. And he says, yeah, that's me, too. Mm-hmm. And so they, they share that nature, but they're very clearly different because the father is above. And Jesus is saying, I and the father are one. And, and all of those yeah. things that go into it, of there's a separation and a oneness at the same time. And so tritheism just doesn't work. Mm hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm another one. I mean, you, you mentioned it, but, um, modalism, you know, the idea that, uh, God can manifest himself. You know, I, I think the analogy that sometimes used is that water can take the form of ice vapor or just liquid and, uh, God, this is what God has done. He's, he has morphed himself. He's, he's presented himself in different modes and he's, but, but that's not, that doesn't work either because you have three distinct personalities that are all communicating with one another. And and you see it, we already brought it out, but you see it at the baptism. This wasn't one God taking on three different forms. It was three parts of this singular one God. They were all in communication and they were working together. And you see the spirit that's between the father and the son and kind of binding them together in that way. And, um, uh, so modalism doesn't work either, which is what I was saying just a minute ago. If if Donald and Connell were here, we would just wait for those fifth century uh, Irish cartoons to uh, that's that's modalism, Patrick. And uh, <laughs> yeah. And so you, you see the same thing with partialism, which is, again, th- I think this is where you get really into the weeds of, of someone could, I think, in good faith, have this kind of understanding to where, well, you know, you got God and God is a kind of like a pie and, yeah. and the father and the son and the Holy Spirit are three slices of the pie. And all together, when they unite like Voltron or the Power Rangers to date myself, <laughs> they kind of become this one God and they're each kind of part of that. But, you know, it's been very important theologically over the ages to understand that each member of the Trinity is 100% God. They are not reliant on each other to become God uh, in that way. And I think what what is drawn out of this for the, the standard Christian is this. When we're talking about God, and we've mentioned before in the podcast, a God worth serving, we're talking about at the extreme end of infinite knowledge and power and presence. And when we get into some of these ideas, for instance, whether it be uh, tritheism, modalism, or partialism, you start having to question, okay, well, what's going on here? You know, is it three members of the Trinity or um, 
are they unequal in power? Are they unequal in impact? Um, are they, you know, again, are, are, are they partially effective in this way? You know, well, God has to have all three, the Father, Son, and Spirit, because just the Son wouldn't be effective. Well, again, we we can't even fathom a universe without Father, Son, and Spirit, but they're all fully God. If Jesus is just 33% of God, uh, then you have some weird thing going on in his humanity where he's 100% human, 33% God, and then you're questioning, like, what kind of authority is this? What what yeah. kind of person are we talking about? It has to be all God. He has to be fully God in that way. Um, and again, it, it, a lot of this just is, is a product of trying to think well about this. While understanding we can never fully grasp God. And so the reality of God lies somewhere beyond what we can understand. And so the problem with all of these models or these analogies is that we pull it down onto such a level to where we say, well, there's something here that kind of resembles God, but at the same time, we can oversimplify it to the point where we outright say something that is demonstrably wrong about the nature of God. So even if we were going to use some kind of, uh, you know, uh, classical Christian understanding of the Trinity of its one God, three persons, all this stuff, even that nature is not fully describing the majesty of the Trinity, but it's carefully formulated. So you can say what the Bible demonstrates about the Trinity through inference without downgrading it to something that's outright wrong from what yeah. the Bible says. The the two ditches seem to be that you either say, uh, well, we can't grasp this, so we're not going to say anything about it. And we're just going to we're just going to maintain, you know, the status quo or, uh, yeah, hey, this is we got this. And and here's the analogy and this is it. And and that's so it's it's either oversimplification or, hey, this is such a mystery. We can say nothing about it. But the fact is, the scriptures do say things about this and we can come away saying, OK, you know what? My brain doesn't comprehend it quite, but I can state it in a sentence that there is one singular God, and he has three distinct personalities that make up his oneness, and they can speak with one another and communicate with one another. And God wouldn't be fully God if it weren't for all three parts working together. And uh, I, I don't fully, I don't fully grasp this. I, it is a mystery, but it does bring us into deeper worship. One, I want to read real quickly uh, and see what you guys think about this. This is Jonathan Edwards, and I don't have you ever read anything that he said about the Trinity or how he uh, tried to convey it. Again, this is an, another one of these analogical type um, descriptions. And yet for me, it's helpful, but who knows? Maybe I'm uh, maybe I'm falling into one of these heresies that we just said. But but let me put it out there and see what you guys think. Edward said, if it were possible for a man by by reflection perfectly to contemplate all that it that is in his own mind in an hour as it is and at the same time that it is there, in its first and direct existence, if a man had a perfect reflex or contemplative idea of every thought at the same moment or moments that that thought was, and of every exercise at and during the same time that that exercise was, and so through a whole hour, a man would really be two. He would be indeed double. He would be twice at once. The idea he has of himself would be himself again. As God, with perfect clearness, fullness, and strength, understands himself, views his own essence, in which there is no distinction of substance and act, but it is holy substance and holy act, that idea which God hath of himself is absolutely himself. This representation of the divine nature and essence is the divine nature and essence again. 
so that by God's thinking of the deity, the deity must certainly be generated. Hereby, there is another person begotten. There is another infinite, eternal, almighty, and most holy, and the same God, the very same divine nature. Now, one thing I'll, I'll add to that is he can, in, throughout his writings, he continually uses the word like subsistence rather than just existence because he wants to make clear that these are all integral and the kind of, you know, they flow together. But his idea there is that within the mind of God, there's this other part of him that's fully aware of everything that he is. And that, that of course, is Jesus. And then he goes on and he spells out similarly with the spirit being sort of the embodiment of this love that exists between the two of them. And you see some credence to this in the scriptures with the Holy Spirit being, uh, or God's love being poured into our hearts uh, by the Holy Spirit. And um, I don't know, as I was reading it, I thought, oh, that's, yeah, that's it's, helpful it's for me. I was going to say, I think it's true to the nature of God because it does break my brain a little bit, um, which I think the nature of God <laughs> should do. But I think a lot of what that kind of thinking goes back to as well, and I, I think it's another interesting thought exercise, is that you know God, at a point in time, God created the world, at which point time began. But God is infinite and eternal. God has always existed, which again is another brain breaker. And so a, a thought that, that I think is interesting is, well, what was God like before he created the world? Or if God had never created the world, which again is, is a fallacy in that we can't even fathom that reality. But as he was before that point in eternity, what was the nature of him? You know, what what does the mind of God think about? When we think of what God thinks about, we think, well, he thinks about all the stuff that's happening here on what he created. Well, if God is infinite and in knowledge and all this stuff, what was he thinking about before he created anything? And that's that's again where we go, you know, I'm surprised that lightning doesn't strike me on the spot as I try to open and peel back the layers on that one, because again, it just goes. And what, what that ultimately comes down to, again, is this is how big is the God that you think you serve? You know, how big is he in your mind? Yeah. Is he just this, you know, he's just a superhuman. He's kind of like a super brain uh, that's floating out there in the ether. Um, if, if that is the full extent of your understanding of God, then you're never going to really tremble in worship as you approach this being um, mm -hmm. that is so beyond any flesh and blood intuition understanding. It's something that can only be revealed to us by himself. Only he can reveal it to us. Uh, and the fact that he's, you know, condescended on our level to do so is just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it, it leaves faith as part of the equation we've talked about before of like, if, if you could perfectly understand God, it, it would be a little bit too simple. And I think so many of the man-made religions, the God makes perfect sense because he was made up in man's mind. And and so a God that was not is not going to work the same way it is, is infinite, is different, is, is of a different nature of humankind. I mean, you just get into all we know is is the universe working in the way that it does. And the way that it does is you cannot be three and one and one and three. You can't be the same, but not the same. But that's the, the laws that he created for our universe. He doesn't exist under those laws and, and he pre-exists those laws. And so uh, that, that means we do have to take it on faith. And I think when we get these bad analogies is when we try not to take it on faith. We try and bring it down to the level, as, as you're saying, Titus, of, you know, 
trying to to really boil this down into something we can put in our pocket and it, it it's just not going to work that way i mean that's not how god is that's not how it was uh intended for us to be uh us to understand and so with those wrong ideas those analogies what you end up doing and what the early church had to fight a lot of the time was uh, Jesus was lesser. Jesus was a human that God took on later on as his son, that at the baptism is when God decided, okay, okay, I'm going to make this one my my guy. No, that's not how it works. You look at the prophecies, you look at all that. Um, then, of course, there's the, the Gnostic idea of Jesus didn't actually come in the flesh because God can't become a human. That doesn't work. God can't die. God can't go through all those things. We had the episode on Jesus's uh, humanity and why it matters, and so we've discussed that some. And so it was always kind of pushing it. Well, Jesus is he's really a big deal, but he's kind of less important. Well, that's not what he claimed to be. You know, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. I mentioned earlier, he said, I am. There's a reason they picked up rocks and tried to kill him when he said that they knew right. what he was claiming. And so you have that. And then, of course, the spirit remains an afterthought. And again, we'll get to I, I keep kind of blending stuff points from the back of the outline, but. I feel like the spirit is the one that takes the brunt of it the most. Now we, we don't have the heresies the early church did with, uh, with Jesus, but man, we really, really kind of pat the Holy spirit on the head and push him over to the corner. And that's not a good idea, but uh, with that, let's get into the roles that each one fills. I mean, I, having said everything we've said about, we, we can't really get our heads around the idea. All three of the Godhead, the Trinity, whatever term you want to use are capable of all things, right. Are, I, but the Bible does outline specific things they do. I brought up prayer earlier of the father who hears and cares and, and takes care of us. Jesus, who is our mediator and intercessor and the Holy Spirit, who is is there beside us. It's almost one with us, one between us and the father and then the father hearing the request. Um, but there's a bunch of different ways in which we see the three kind of taking on different roles. The mission of uh, of saving humanity, the father John 3, 16, gave his only begotten son, but Jesus, the son, took on flesh, came, died for us, rose again. And then when he left, and he outlines this beautifully in John 15 and 16, I'm going to send, or 14, 15 and 16, I'm going to send the helper. You're not going to be alone. I'm going to send one to be with you. And that was the spirit. And we see that happen in the book of Acts and continuing on. And so uh, yeah. that's that's another way in which you see three. Let's talk about a few of those. Uh, go ahead, Daniel. Well, if Jesus, so... What's helpful for me in John, in John one, Jesus in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God, right? The word became flesh. Jesus is the word. And, and you see scriptures like in Colossians and in Hebrews that speak about how the creation came into existence actually by this word. Jesus is the one, all things were created through him. And apart from him was, was nothing made that was made. Jesus is the, it's, he's almost like the instrument of the father's bringing about through the word. And then the, and then the spirit is um, so often the one who's like effectively working it and serving it throughout people. If, if you go to the old Testament, I remember hearing that you know, the old Testament is not really a concept or the spirit's not really a concept in the old Testament. And it's talking about something different. And um, I, that, that doesn't fit. You, the Holy Spirit comes up a lot in the Old Testament. And, uh, you know, in, in the book of Numbers, you know, the, the Holy Spirit came upon the 70 elders and they started um, preaching. The Holy Spirit came upon, you know, anyone that was a prophet, Samuel. You're when building he began, the tabernacle, the, the it, skilled craftsman. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the skilled craftsman bearing out in in their, you know, them being able to develop ornate designs and to be able to make hammered work that was beautiful and 
the spirit was doing that. So he's he's all, he's very instrumental and in, and in doing um, a lot of things like on the ground level. And uh, you you know you see the spirit coming upon you know in in he comes up right in the book of Genesis. Um, God God says my my spirit will not strive or contend with man forever. Mm-hmm. So the spirit was doing something on the ground level to convict or to, you know, and he finally just got tired. It's like in the, like when uh, in the new Testament, it says, don't, um, uh, don't quench the spirit, right? Yeah. He, he, he's, he, he, his presence is not guaranteed or always going to be there if we push against it. Um, and you see David filled with the spirit. And then you see Saul who, when he disobeyed God, the spirit of God uh, left him. And he's, he's there all through the old Testament. I know I'm specifically just talking about the spirit, but that's, that's the one that, you know, as you said, it's, it's the most neglected, the most misunderstood. And one of the reasons why I think that might be so is he's almost like, he's kind of elusive. Like he's, he's spirit. Spirit means wind. He's, he's, um, and in any time you see the Godhead mentioned in order, uh, spirit is mentioned last almost like there's some hierarchy here there's some order of operations father and then son and then spirit and um do you think that that has any bearing on it on why he's i've, I've heard a couple of things one, one thing i think that we want to be careful when we say hierarchy is that we're not talking about you know well the father's the strongest god and the son's the most loving god and the spirit's the most ghosty god i don't know what you would say about the spirit again right. it's very elusive but we're talking about a, a a role that each of these members of the trinity is playing obviously for instance this this one's very simple uh, funny enough the trinity actually came up in a, in a sunday morning bible class recently that i was teaching and and one thing i asked the class i said we know that jesus is god and so jesus died on the cross did the father die on the cross and i had people kind of look left and right like i don't know what the right answer is supposed to say here as i said words of people pray thank yeah, you God, for yeah well exactly and so i said well does the does the father die on the cross no does the spirit die on the cross no but Jesus is God and, and Jesus died on the cross. And so again, you see that Jesus had a particular role to play there in the, in the arc of redemption, just as the father and the spirit did. You know, I think about, um, you know, old Testament really quick before I move on to a new Testament example for one, obviously Jesus has been involved in the story of redemption from the old Testament on there's all of these things about the angel of the Lord. I'll put my name upon him. He has my name. Uh, people bow down and worship the angel of the Lord and the angel of the Lord doesn't do the standard angel. Don't worship me. I'm just a, I'm just a servant of God like you. You know, he, he accepts worship. There's also all this language in the old Testament and the, the prophets about God's right hand. God will extend his right hand, his right hand will, you know, judge, it will enact vengeance and all this language. That's kind of this weird thing of like, well, what, what's God's right hand? Almost sounds like it's this separate entity in some way that God is using to enact what he wants to do. But again, as we go into the new Testament, you know, story of redemption, I I was looking at Romans one, I'll quote Romans instead of Daniel, since he usually gets to it first. Um, but in Romans chapter one, you know, as Paul starts out, he says, you know, uh, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, uh, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son. So the son of God, God, the father, uh, who was descended from David, according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit 
of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so as Paul lays out the gospel, it's the gospel of God, the father sending his son who was raised and confirmed in the power of the spirit. And as we've already talked about, I mean, again, the resurrection of Jesus is the bedrock of any sort of salvation that we can hope in. And right there, it says it's the story of God sending the son and raising him through the power of the spirit. And so again, each one uh, is integrally involved in different roles. You know, Jesus is resurrected. The son is resurrected from the dead. The father's not resurrected from the dead. The spirit's not resurrected from the dead yet. All three are involved in the resurrection in different roles. Don't, but don't, don't you think that there's some, and, you know, this is a good discussion because this is one that I bounce around and I know there's even a, a, a degree of um, difference that we may share with it. But it seems to me that it's deeper than just a difference in role, but that there actually is an order of, even though I can't comprehend this, an order of authority. I mean, you see, you know, Jesus said that when the spirit comes in, in um, uh, John uh uh, John 16, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Je- you know, God sent Jesus and then Jesus is going to send the spirit. And there is a degree of of subjection there. And to me, it comes out the strongest in first Corinthians 15, when we're talking about Jesus right now is reigning as king, Right. It says, um, God has, he says he must reign, um, until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. God has put them under his feet. This is clearly the father. And then he says, uh, but when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under his feet. When all things are subjected to him, to Jesus, then the son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. When I read that, I I can't get, I can't escape this idea that there is. Now, I know that it sometimes comes about in like the eternal sonship is, is one of the ways that it's phrased or put. I'm not sure where I exactly land on that. Is it, was it always this way? You know, going all the way back into eternity, was it always that the father and the son and the spirit had this order of, you know, but to me, it's fitting. I mean, if you've got three people or even in, you know, in a marriage, it's fitting that you, one of them is going to be in the authority and the other one is going to be in subjection. You can't have two, uh, you know, two that are, in that same position. And and you see all through um, the gospels where there's just constant reference to being in submission. He submitted himself to the will of the father. You know, he, he obeyed the will of the father. He became perfect through obedience. I understand, you know, did that just start there? I think Philippians two kind of indicates, yes, that, you know, he, he had equality with God and he's like, I'm not going to hang on to this. It's not something to be grasped or, or, you know, clung on to. But but the equality, where it says he emptied himself, that means at some point he had it. And so to to remove that from himself and then step down. But then, as you're saying, he did that. He came to Earth and then he's saying, then I'm going to send a helper. And so he goes back and says, all right, spirit, your turn. And so it almost seems as to your point of the hierarchy here of 
he took on a subordinate role, but then the spirit is subordinate to him. But we don't have those verses about the spirit subordination like we do about Jesus's. We have Philippians two, we have the Hebrews ones you're referencing and, and such like that. And that's that complicates it a little bit as to the spirit. The spirit is very silent in all of these things. Right. We have Jesus talking about himself and his own role. We have the Bible describing his role for us, but we don't have that much about the spirit other than the practical ways in which, uh, you know, as I said, Jesus went up and said, all right, your turn, go. And, and, and the spirit did. And so I don't know, uh, as far as the eternal sonship thing, I know that's a, a hotly debated thing. Sometimes I know it's in some of the major creeds and confessions or at least one of them, but uh, not that we Oops. go by those. Um, but it, I don't know, Titus, uh, you want to weigh in on that one? Yeah. I, so again, one thing I'll say as we talk about this, I think because the Bible isn't explicit, again, Paul never lays out his chapter on, I would not have you ignorant concerning the exact nature of the Trinity and the support. Like Paul doesn't do that. So we have a box that scripture builds of ways to talk about God. And when we talk about him outside of that box, um, we're, we're dealing with untruth about the nature of God. I think within that box, there's some wiggle room, an area that we can talk about this and go, huh, well, how do you logically uh, justify this truth about God and this truth about God at the same time? So for instance, as you're talking about all these verses that that obviously show that Jesus was in subordination, the son was in subordination to the father, the spirit's not going to speak on his own authority. Those truths make us go, huh, I'm, I'm pulled in this direction over here. At the same time, the thing that I would definitely want to avoid when we're talking about any kind of hierarchy or subordination is it turning into God the Father, the most powerful God, and his two deputies, the Son and the Spirit. Well, what you have there is you have a pantheon of the Father God and then two lesser gods. I think that's when you get into tritheism. And I think we can talk about this hierarchy to an extent. Um, I my personal understanding, especially related to Jesus and the Spirit complicates it, as he often does. Uh, Jesus's subordination, I think of in relation to his human nature. For instance, Jesus, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Well, Jesus is God. He has authority. The only way he can receive more authority is as a human. Um, the same thing with the first Corinthians 15 example. The son is obviously in subordination to the father. Uh, he's ruling as a human, a human who is God. Uh, and so in that way, I think of his humanity, his, like Jack's referencing Philippians, his lowering of himself from that place. Um, but again, it, it's all very, it, it's all very complicated. I think about the way that Jesus prays to the father and, and John, you know, father, you know, pray that they would be one with me as I'm one with you. And the, since we've been from the beginning and the love we've shared in all of eternity, all of these things, again, get into seeming, almost seeming paradoxes. We're talking about things that seem to not gel together. And so uh, I, I'm, I'm open again to talking about the hierarchy and, and, and different positions. My only thing would just be, it can never be a, there's the leader God, there's well, the sheriff no. God, and then there's the two deputies. And I'm not saying no, that's no, what no. you're saying. I'm just saying as we, as we discuss it out, that's, that's the, the far off ditch I see that I'm like, as close as we drive there, um, we just don't want to fall in to that, which, which again, gets into other issues. Well, I mean, but the, the thing that, that strikes me though, is that you have in like in the new Testament, you have statements that speak of the subjection simultaneously to saying everything in the universe was made by him. Mm -hmm. Like he was the, he was the being, all things were made through him. And apart from him was nothing made that was made. And again, this to me is a part of that mystery is that it, it doesn't, it's not like it tries to avoid one. And, and you're exactly right. We, and, and as I'm conceiving of this, 
I don't fully get it, but, and I'm not conceiving of the, you know, there's the deputy God and there's the lesser it's one God, but by virtue of being three parts, there is some order of operations that I see there. And I, and I do think you see it even in the old Testament, you know, when David is looking, is talking about this, he says, the Lord says to my Lord, you know, Yahweh or Jehovah or however we're going to pronounce it, Donald and Connell, can you guys chime in here? Uh, they would actually say Yahweh is probably more accurate, but the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies um, your footstool. And the father there is is making some declaration uh, to the son. And, and there appears to be this always this perfectly cohesive, cohesive type. Um, you know, I, I, I don't want to draw out the marital application here because I, I think there's a big difference between the Trinity and a marriage. But we can at least conceive of the fact that within hierarchical relationships, this says nothing of equality or value or the dignity of of each individual. Sure, like, the, look, the essence of them, what they represent. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. exactly. I, There's I a weird say, paradigm in this that I work from that I I feel like it's hinted at. And it, this helps me, but I, I don't I might be confessing a major heresy here. Of you've got a God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who exists outside of time. And this whole thing almost seems to be Jesus's project. Jesus is the agent of creation, Colossians 1. Uh, Jesus, you know, John 1, you can get in that as well. Uh, Jesus is the one, the manifestation, the image of the invisible God. He's the one, as you mentioned, the, the angel of the Lord. There's reason to believe that every time somebody saw God in some sense, the burning bush or the light and the pillar, or the, the pillar of cloud, pillar of fire, all of those things, there's very good reason to believe those were all Jesus. And then it was Jesus, uh, of course, taking on flesh. Jesus in Revelation, when you see, you know, the the burnished bronze and the eyes of fire, all those things. And then, of course, the Holy Spirit being sent by Jesus. But again, the end of all of these things is all of Jesus's enemies being put as a footstool under his feet. And mm-hmm. like he's he's king of kings, lord of lords, all under submission to him. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus. And, and so like this is his project in which you've got the Godhead, you got all, all three. And then not that he made the decision like, hey, I want to do this. Are you guys OK with it? that's where you start getting into the weird side of it, but it yeah. very much is he's driving and, and he's the hands-on one and all this, but not that the father isn't hands-on, but the Jesus is the one directly coming to earth, directly he's showing himself to man. Yeah. He's, yeah. He, and he's driving all of it. And then of course the spirit is he, on the, he sends the spirit into the world and into man to accomplish his broader purpose, all under submission to the father because he's taken on that role. And so it's, it's almost as if when when Jesus created the universe and he created time and this whole paradigm in which we exist, that's at the point he steps out of that equality, Philippians 2, into this role to wage war for the cosmos, win mankind back and, and then rule over the whole thing with his people with i don't know does that any of that well, make sense i've probably just confused everybody 10 times more yeah i mean no i, I get what you're saying it, it is hard because we're dealing with a history which are a temporal you know it's outside right. of time we're also dealing with it within time you know just to add a wrinkle to the psalm that you quoted earlier the lord said to my lord sit at my right hand well was that an eternal decree of god was that a prophecy about the moment in time that jesus i mean again but then you go like jesus sitting down the right hand of god in heaven what 
time, you know, how does well, this, this idea was out? in their mind eternally, like all the exactly. way back. Exactly. And right? so that goes back to the question again, that I've heard people have another wrinkle. This is just me kind of throwing my questions out there. The eternal sonship of Jesus was Jesus always the son. Well, people say, well, no, he was the word. And then when he put on flesh, he became the son. So eternally you had the father, the word and the spirit. And I go, okay, the eternal father of what? You know, how do you have a father right. without the son? And so again, and, and I say that to say, I don't have a good answer, but I say that you can see us even in this episode, we're sitting in this <laughs> dark room with a blindfold on with sticks out in front of us. And we're trying to poke at these truths that are so massive. They're right there in front of us. We want to grab onto it, but, yeah. but we're dealing with these just, we're looking uh, excuse at- my language, crappy human brains that we have. <laughs> we have these, these brains that just can't comprehend it. We're looking, we're looking at shadows on a cave wall and until we come out of this cave, which is not going to be in this life, we're not going to see it perfectly. But one thing, you know, Jack, as you're talking, it's, it's amazing to me because again, like I can hold one conception and another that seems contradictory and yet they're both the same in, uh, or excuse me, they're both, they, they both cohere at least, um, theologically, um, or in the truth of God who fully understands it. But one of the, one of the scriptures that always strikes me is in reference to the spirit. And I think we're going to spend a little time talking about the spirit, right? Because this is one that people have no idea. What, what does he do? Like, what's, what does the spirit do? Well, all he does is he he marks you. Like he just marks you and that's it. Oh, oh, actually he doesn't even do that. He's just the Bible. This is him. Uh, is that, no. So we're going to, we're going to talk a little bit about that. But one of the scriptures that strikes me is in Romans eight, Paul says, when he's talking about you having a mind of the spirit or a mind of the flesh. He says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. And and then notice how he defines him. If in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells within you. So he says the spirit is the spirit of God. He is the spirit of Christ. He is the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, which means that he's a different personality because he was the one that woke Jesus up and said, get up out of the grave. And yet he's called by all these names, spirit of God, spirit of Christ. He even says he's Christ. If you go over to Peter, Peter says that, you know, the, the prophets of old didn't understand exactly what they were doing, but it, but the spirit of Christ was in them indicating, you know, certain things and giving them, you know, what they ought to be saying. So he's the spirit of Christ, but he's also the spirit of God. And he's also his own being. You know what? Do you see what I'm saying? Well, you have the same first Corinthians two. you know, about the same of our, our mind and, and the, the spirit within. And he ends that chapter by saying, we have the mind of Christ, same Galatians two 20. It's not I, but Christ living in me. But when you get to the, the nuts and bolts of how Christ is living in me, it's through the Holy spirit. And so you're right that that blending really does happen in a number of passages. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. And I, I think again, you just you see even at the Last Supper where is it Philip that says to Jesus, "Am I getting that right?" They says, "Hey, if you'll just show us the Father, mm, that's yeah. enough." And Jesus basically looks at him and says, 
have you not been with me up this time until now? Which again, gets into this confusion of Jesus saying, I'm not the father, but if you've right. seen me, you've seen the father, right? You're, right. you're the, the most obvious revelation of the father. The closest you can get to understanding the father is everything that you've seen in me. Like that's yeah. the most clear revelation. That's what the Bible tells us. You know, how right. do we know this ethereal God? He sent his son to the earth so we could know him. And, and, and that's, yeah. you know, as we maybe transition on to why does this matter? One thing that it helps me with is it battles this conception that so many people in the world have that Jesus is the love God. Jesus is the hippie God. He's the nice God. He's the healing God. Uh, and God, the father's the mean God. He's the, the vindictive God. He's the judgment God. He's the wrath God. Jesus says, do you want to know that father, that father that sits again, maybe behind the curtain in some ways in the Old Testament, the God that you can't approach, the God that makes righteous men fall on their knees and say, I'm a sinner, please don't kill me. Uh-huh. Do you want to know that father? Look at me. Look yeah, at all yeah. the things about Jesus in the gospel. Look at the love and the compassion he has for people and know that's not exclusive to the son. That is a exact imprint stamp of the love that the father has for you. Interestingly, Daniel, I'm going to pass it off to you here in a second. God doesn't really get called father in the Old Testament. He talks about being a father to all the people of Israel. But the idea of God, the father, our father who art in heaven, you know, our father who is near and loves and cares for us. That's not really a thing until Jesus shows up and reveals he really is that father, the prodigal's father, the father who feeds the sparrows and clothes the lily. I mean, like that's a, such a big deal. Yeah, mm-hmm. father, father in that sense, too, and that he's our father through adoption. I mean, Jesus yeah. is the son. And so when someone says, right. hey, we're all God's children, man, me and my brother over here across the street, we're all God's children. Well, yeah. in the sense that he created you, but yeah. in the sense that he's the father of Jesus, we only touch that sense of fatherhood yeah. by adoption. Right. You're not you are not a brother of Christ and therefore not a son of God until you've been adopted by the spirit of God. Which is why he says this is the spirit. He sends the spirit of adoption into our hearts by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So the spirit is instrumental there. And and, and one thing I just want to say real quick before we look at some specifics. As we're talking about, okay, you got Father, Son, Spirit. These are all God. This They are deity. They are divine. They are our Uh, you know, the one that we worship. And so you get these weird, you know, questions. Is it okay to let us have a little talk with Jesus? You know, some will say, well, you shouldn't be singing that song. Don't, don't sing that. Don't, uh, um, you know, because we don't, we don't talk with Jesus and we talk with the father. What do you guys think about that? That to me is, is uh, I can't even wrap my head around that. Jesus is the one who created the universe uh, he went to Calvary for me and I can't, I can't talk to him. I can't sing to him. I can't pray to him and say, Jesus, I need your strength right now. What do you guys think about that? Well, also I heard growing up, um, the as glorify your name is the hymn and father, we love you. We worship and adore Jesus. We love you. Spirit. We love you. And mm-hmm. I remember somebody saying, we got to skip the third verse. We can't sing to the spirit <laughs> that we worship and adore you. Cause we don't worship the Holy spirit. Like, Titus brought up earlier, all those angels who are like, don't worship me. That's because they aren't God. The Holy Spirit is right. God and it, it's You're okay. Right. And, and the same thing about talking to Jesus. I mean, you see in the New Testament, just prayers, you know, referencing Jesus to Jesus. You know, yeah, he's the mediator, but he's also right there as part of it. And, uh, you know, you go to Revelation and how instrumental Jesus is there, directly, John dealing directly with him. Yeah, it's such a weird hang up. I mean, it's it's like I get that we're like wanting to keep them separate 
you know, and that they are three persons, but we're also have to remember they are also one as God too. And God right. is worthy of worship. And God, if God is father, God is son, God is Holy spirit. They're all worthy of worship. They're all you know worth praying to. They're all powerful. They're all love. They're all, all and, of the characteristics. And there, and yeah. I would say it's, it's even demanded. Like, like if you have this conception that, the father can be worshiped and spoken to, but the, but the son and the spirit can't be, then we're not, then obviously we have a Trinitarian hang up. We're not, again, that's, that's that whole, um, I don't know, uh, like you, you, you talk about deputy gods and it's, it's like that. It's like, no, God is the real one. And then these other two there, we don't talk to them. They just kind of, we, we wait until we get to heaven to talk to them. We'll get to see them one day. <laughs> Um, no, we, we, t- we can talk to them now. And, and the, I, I might say, spirit, give me strength, give me the strength that you are promised to give me in my being, you know, in Romans eight, he talks about all this. He says this, this spirit, he's going to be, you know, um, he, he convicts you, he shapes your mind. He, um, you know, it, it is a mind of the spirit. He's informing all of your thinking. Yeah, I, think, I ought to uh, be able to. No, no, go, go ahead. ahead. I'm sorry. No, I, I was say, I was I was just gonna say I think that part of this comes a couple of reasons. One, obviously, there is a principle of praying to the Father. Jesus taught us to pray to the Father. Um, in the book of Acts, when Peter is released from prison, they pray to the Father, you know, that all, all of these things. But I think what a lot of this comes back to is it's kind of a a bad fruit, and I hate to say that, but it's it's a little bit of bad fruit from this tree of we must be authorized for every single thought and intent yeah. of our Christianity. And it goes from being this regulative principle of worship to a restrictive principle of worship. And if right. the restriction is you cannot worship God, <laughs> because right. there's not a verse that says, thou shalt pray to the Father, thou shalt pray to the Son, thou shalt pray to the Holy Spirit. I mean, again, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Very short prayer, but do we not pray for that? Do we not right. pray Lord Jesus, come back, set everything right, undo every wrong. I mean, if we can't have that thought in our heart and go, Father, who I'm praying to through Jesus, please tell the mediator who I'm talking to you through uh, that I would like for him to come back as quick as possible. You know, it gets into this childish game of, well, you tell so-and-so, I'm not talking to them. It's telephone. Well, it, (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just trying to gather myself here. Um, I had a point that was going to be was going to be so strong. Well, let me jump and in with the scripture right reference and, and, and while, while you cook on that for a second, uh, you think about Stephen being stoned to death and he looks up and sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the father. And he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then right at the end, he says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Uh, could you imagine, you know, somebody run, running in like, oh, I'll say Stephen, Stephen, I know you're being stoned <laughs> to death, but you're not allowed to ask Jesus those things like it. It was a weak point. It was a weak moment of the flesh. Yeah. Yeah. I, but, I well, mean, literally, but uh, it's just uh, like that, that. It was okay. It was okay that he did that. And we need to get our heads around that. Yeah. And so, okay. So I remember what I was going to say. We, one of the things our, our theology is built very much on um, commands, examples, and necessary inferences. Here's my question. If, if acapella music is a necessary inference, then how is um, uh, speaking to Jesus and speaking to the Spirit and worshiping them in unity with the Father not in a necessary inference? You, you see, 
Like you, you, you made exactly the right point. There is this fear of having authorization. And yet at the, the things of the spirit aren't, they're not always pinned down in a verbatim articulation of precisely this set of words, but Hey, here's all this idea, human being, you ought to be able to get here. And I think Jesus got onto the Pharisees for this because they're like, there's not going to be any resurrection. There's not going to be any, any resurrection. And Jesus said, you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God because yeah. don't you know what the scripture says? Uh, he, he said, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. And Jesus is saying, you should have inferred from a present tense Hebrew verb to be you should have inferred from God saying, I am presently the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were alive. See, Jesus is saying that should have led you to the truth of the resurrection. Yeah, we ought to be able to infer and, and let what God has revealed form the ground that we stand on. Yeah, amen. You're exactly right. I think, you know, again, when we when we think about it in this way and we're seeing God as he is in the old Testament, when God revealed himself in a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire or in a storm, people didn't question. They didn't look at each other and say, what are we supposed to do? One, they trembled Two, they usually hit the ground and hit their face. You know, when Isaiah was taken up into the vision of the temple, he said, have mercy on me, a sinner. Isaiah was one of the good guys. Isaiah is the holy prophet of God. And when you see God as he's revealed to you, the inclination is to worship in fear and trembling. And so if, if God's revelation as the father, son, and spirit is the most full picture and revelation of him and his majesty, which I would argue it is, then it should inspire us. It should be obvious within us. This mm -hmm. is the God that is worthy of worship as, as God, the father, God, the son, and God, the spirit. It's just something that's naturally inferred by humanity. If we see God for who he is in whatever yeah. sense we can. Yeah. Sure. Amen. So we got a few minutes left. Uh, just going to hit a couple things briefly. And then I want to talk about one specific thing. Uh, and that is the spirit working in our life, but uh, just why it matters so much, why it's such a heresy to misunderstand it. As I started off with, if you misunderstand this, you're essentially going to the, the Talmudic Judaism belief of God or the, the Muslim belief in God. This is what separates us is father, son, Holy spirit, Trinitarian theology. Uh, that is one of the central tenets of Christianity that you really can't get away from without a lot of things falling apart, without Jesus become becoming lesser. And if Jesus is lesser, boy, we've, we've got a lot of problems. I mean, of our own justification and our the, the power given to us and all that. And also in our justification and sanctification, you know, as was brought up in Romans 8, that the power that raised Jesus from the dead, that's the spirit that you have in you. And so as you become sanctified and more like Christ and you have the mind of Christ, 1 Corinthians 2.16, all these verses we've referenced, that's the Father, Son, Holy Spirit working on your behalf. I think sometimes we have this concept of our Christianity of God, like bought our ticket to heaven and said, all right, here's your ticket. If you can get there, you know, I'll let you in. Like, no, no, no. He bought us a ticket and then sent us the limo to get us there. You know, that is the, the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus paid for the ticket. The Father is, is there waiting for us. The Spirit is, you know, just again, a bad analogy. I'm going to be careful there. Uh, and so it it matters in all those things. It strengthens our walk. It, it's there in our prayer life, as I've brought up. And so it, it has a million implications and applications as to why this matters so much. And I really want to get to this because I think it's been butchered so horribly charismatics with their blah, 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 you know, 
tongue speaking, rolling on the floor thing. We look at that and go, oh, uh, I'm, I'm a little nervous about the Holy Spirit thing. Or, you know, you've probably had a denominational friend at some point say, well, God just told me that I'm supposed to. And yeah. so you see all that stuff and you run the other direction. Be like, no, no, only in the word, as, as Daniel said, that's that's how God speaks to us. That's how God works is if you just read the Bible verses and memorize them, then then you've got it. Well, the Holy Spirit doesn't work separate from the word, like doesn't work contradictory to the word. I would agree with that. When we talk about how the spirit works in your life, it yeah. is that molding, that shaping, and you can feel it. It's not a whisper in your ear. It's not a warming of your heart. It's yeah. your two natures being pulled in one direction or the other. It's when you go, man, I'm going to do this. I I, I want to yell at that guy in traffic who cut me off. I want to snap at my wife when when she's frustrating me. I want to snap at my kids when they're not behaving as, as I think they are. And I've got that that conviction of the heart that comes in and goes, no, you don't. Don't yep. do that. That's that's the wrong thing to do. That's the spirit at work in me. It's not a whisper in my ear. It's not. It's nothing different. It's my nature being changed into the mind of Christ, as First Corinthians two says. And so, right. it's okay to believe in the indwelling. You're not some crazy charismatic. You're not going off the deep end. You're not gonna. Next thing you know, I can speak in tongues and and heal your broken leg. I I don't know. I I feel like well, as I said before. Of all the things we call false doctrines and heresies, this is the most okay one. This is the one right. that most people are, are just fine with when this is a really bad one. Right. Well, I, I mean, because here's the deal. And I, I always think, guys, maybe we just need to do a whole episode next week on the Holy Spirit. Because there's so much more that can be said about the Spirit. And I, I think this is an area of confu confusion that almost demands a whole episode uh, but, you're saying I shouldn't have brought it up an hour and three minutes into the episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, you're, but you're exactly. I, I really think we should we should do another episode on this, and we can we can talk about that. But, um, the the natural what what ends up happening if we deny the 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 actual pres bodily presence of the Holy Spirit, then sanctification ends up being a work of my own prowess. Ultimately, it ends up being a work of, of my own flesh as as I am by all, you know, I am taking in the word by my own strength and I am by my own strength rooting out evil and all these things. The Holy Spirit is a, a cancer doctor that goes to the deepest part, the deepest, deepest parts of my heart and my spirit. And he is removing out those other things. Right there. Paul said you can be filled up with two things. You can be filled up with wine or you can be filled up with the spirit. And the way that I like to think of it is, you know, somebody who's filled up with, with wine, they're not seeing straight. They're not seeing the world rightly. And you don't have to, it doesn't, it's not just wine. You can be filled up with materialism or, or, or sex or drugs or anything, but being filled with the spirit, what that does is the more we drink him in, I mean, Paul says we were all made to drink of one spirit. Right. We we bring him into our life and uh, we, we drink him in and he is all all the darkness in there. He's like causing it to to be removed. And it's it's less a product of me removing the bad than me actively filling myself with the spirit. And then he's doing what I can't. He's removing the darkness that I can't. And that can't be done if we conceive of the spirit as all it is, is the Bible. That can't be done. Yeah. All right. So if if there the is enough here for an episode, let's let's hold on to that because I, I think that might be interesting. What what do you guys think? Do you think we got enough? I 
Yes. Yeah. Okay. I think we should so, I, can I say one thing about sure. that before though? This is an area again, and I don't know about where you know your guy circles that you're in. That is a hotly debated issue, hotly debated. I mean, it has been for years. You can go back to the discussions of I'm trying to remember the two brothers, Gus Nichols, and I'm uh, the guy in Woods. Guy in Woods. Oh. You know the the Holy Spirit debates at the Freed Open Forums that are now legendary. You know, uh, so this is hotly debated. I think if we have another episode about this and I am putting my hat in to say that we should, uh, maybe it would help us to suss out some of the reason why this is so hard for us, you know, members of the church, we have a hard time with this. It's something that has not been super well uh, addressed or it's been addressed solely in the negative and all these things. And so uh, a part of the exercise of this podcast, at least for me, I don't know about you guys, for instance, I don't have the Holy spirit figured out. I don't have the Trinity figured out, but if we can't have these conversations, conversations, if we can't try to come to some understanding of it and, and hopefully come in more into harmony with the Bible and hopefully bear more good fruit for the kingdom, not just as gentlemen theologians that sit in our ivory towers and say, yes, now I fully understand God. All right. that we talked about in this episode, all that we'll talk about in the next are towards how can we more perfectly attune ourselves to the heart of the triune God and how can we bear fruit for his kingdom? That's what my focus is. And so again, just as a closing word, maybe this isn't just hot headed, you know, or, or, or hot air spewing out and going, well, if you really get, uh, you know, scholarly with it, this is how it turns out. We want this to be applicable because the God that we serve that, that through which we live and breathe and you know move and have our entire being, um, that's the God we're wanting to get to know. And knowing him is a means to get to the end of serving him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength and loving him as he is, because that's what we want to know. For yeah. sure. So yeah. this this offers a rare opportunity uh, for listeners. If you already know what next week's going to be about, if there's specific things you want covered, uh, the YouTube comments are a great place. We get a lot of uh, our our listenership is on YouTube. And so leave a comment if there's something for next week. You have uh, a short turnaround. So if you hear this, uh, go ahead and leave a comment or our Facebook page, as always, like and follow that uh, and, and send us a message. Leave us a comment, uh, something on the Holy Spirit that you're curious about. You want to see addressed. Put it out there for us. Uh, we will be getting to that next week and continuing on this uh, Trinitarian discussion, because, you know, I uh, was preaching on the Holy Spirit a few years ago and I had uh, this this lesson set I bought and they were going to talk about the Trinity and I was so excited and was listening to their whole Trinity lesson. It was an hour plus on the Trinity and they spent three minutes on the Holy spirit. And, and that that's the problem. That's the part you want to know about. Right. And so I think it's good that we're doing a whole episode. So stay tuned for that next week. Uh, as always, the comments are open, uh, the, the Facebook page, be sure and follow. And we'll talk to you guys next week. 